What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Racially Speaking, where we have real and honest conversations about race as it's viewed through the lenses of faith, family, and vocation. I'm your host, David Phipps, and you are listening to episode 37. But before we get into the rest of the episode, I just wanted to give you guys a couple quick reminders. First, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, episode 36, I just highly recommend you do that. John, Mark, and I ended up doing um, an impromptu kind of Q&A where we talked about just, I think, some really relatable questions and I think it'll be really helpful to anyone, to anybody that's a listener of this podcast to listen to the episode as I think it was maybe one of our most helpful episodes as far as how to put what we talk about into practice. So, And also, we mentioned on that episode as well, we, we love hearing from everybody that listens. Please reach out and engage with us. Um, we love getting DMs. And also, you can also email us at raciallyspeakingpod at gmail.com um, if you have ever have questions there's something we didn't answer well, or you just want to dive deeper into, um, or you have ideas of things we could even discuss um, at another time on the podcast, we we love hearing from you. So I think everyone knows this, but we are not a big deal, and we are not too busy to answer every single DM and Gmail or email that we get. So please don't hesitate to reach out and engage with us. All right, secondly, and more importantly, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this next interview that I had with my friend Alana Horowitz. Um, Alana wears a lot of different hats, like a lot of people that come on this podcast. Um, First and foremost, she's become a really good friend of me and Caitlin. Um, She's a former bride that me and Caitlin got to photograph her and her husband Dan's wedding. Um, Their wedding was earlier this year, which we talk a lot about in this episode. Um, But what brings us here is that Alana and Dan are very devout Jews, and um, whether you know this or not, we're kind of in the midst of a increase and a rise in anti-Semitism um, going on in our country right now. And so Alana and I had already talked about doing an episode eventually, um, you know, down the road. And I was just in the middle of kind of figuring out when the best time to do that was when she reached out to actually come on earlier than expected to kind of address what's been going on um, in our country as far as anti-Semitism go. Um This was an amazing interview. I learned so much, and as I will say in the interview, I've spent a lot of time and still have so much um, further to go, but I'm just very ignorant of a lot of other cultures, Judaism being one of them, and so this was incredibly educational for me. I have and had so much to learn, but I know that you guys are going to benefit a lot from it. Um, I love my time talking to Alana right here, and I know you guys are going to benefit a lot from hearing from her as well, so... Without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this um, this interview with Alana Horowitz. Life in three dimensions got me bent and got me twisted. I don't want to set a lot, but I should probably stop pretending. I don't really hold the key and I can't really push a button. I just step up to the mic and try my very best to bust it. But I ran out of breath. It's tight in my chest. My feet just might fail. I can't stand up. Well, hello, Alana. Thank you for coming on. Um, look, let me start here. So Caitlin and I had the privilege of shooting you and your amazing husband, Dan's wedding recently. Yeah. And okay, I'll just say this. And I think, I don't think I know she would agree. Your wedding is like simultaneously, I think at the top of our list for one of the, I mean, just most amazing weddings, coolest weddings, one of my favorite couples. Like it was, 
it was fun to shoot, but I was like, man, I wish like I could even just attend this. So it's like already at the top of the list in that regard. But also like backs. I mean, I won't get the whole backstory. Maybe you will, but like leading up to it, like the stuff you guys dealt with coming in, and even on the day of, we can elaborate there if you want, or if My you don't dad. want, we can move on. <laughs> but some of the most like traumatic and like quote unquote downer things that could have happened, but like all that together, it was amazing. So anyway, that was a little brief intro. Alana, <laughs> um, thank you for coming on here. How, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited. Um, no, with you guys being our wedding photographer, I mean, obviously Caitlin and I fell in love on our intro talk. <laughs> Like, yeah. All right. I definitely stole a little bit of her away from you. Yeah. Um, hey, it's. And so yeah, it was so nice to have you guys on the day because I knew that not only did I have people who were like amazing and supportive, but generally, or not generally, genuinely, who just like were friends that I was comfortable with. And I was like, okay, I can just like say all the things and be all the things. And like, I don't need to worry. Yes. So lovely. We pride, pride ourselves on making, making anyone we work with feel like that so that's great to hear was I I mean was I fairly accurate in my assessment of at least from my point of view your wedding oh yeah my wedding is crazy so for those listening um the week before my wedding one of my best friends and bridesmaids died of COVID Mm -hmm. so uh, obviously I'm going into the week of my wedding in extreme mourning um it was truly awful and truly tragic and something that will affect me the rest of my life and will affect the way I view my wedding the rest of my life. Um, and so when we emailed all of our vendors, I was like, please bring the joy that I sometimes can't like, because I I will have a hole in my heart. Um, and I need that. And you guys were, you sent me flowers that don't die and I love them. They're bright pink. Mm right behind me yeah yeah um and every time i look at them i smile it makes me feel fuzzy and warm yeah um that was really nice yeah oh yeah we were we we're happy to do that um on a more positive yeah i mean not to take away from that but the other side of things where i was saying how just amazing of a party it was in spite of everything you guys had you know coming in with covid your friend passing away obviously and then there was more people i think several bridal party had it that's pretty close to it, if not the day of. I, I can't remember. I know some of us were wearing yes. masks still. Yes. Um, anyway, the party was amazing. And that's even a little bit where we're going to start. <laughs> we had never shot um, a Jewish wedding. And, I mean, I'm just going to say it. Like, y'all know how to party more than anyone. We've done this for, <laughs> I think, like 10 years now. No one throws down like y'all. It was crazy. It was incredible. It's funny to hear you say that because I say the same thing. I always say that Jewish weddings are more joyous. Yeah. Because Jews, like weddings and Jews, we just, I mean, we go for it. As you saw, the other thing that happened on my wedding day is my band left 30 minutes into the reception. Yes. It was a crazy day. It was a crazy week. Um, and we basically didn't bat an eye. Like my husband, Dan, Truly. My husband, so husband of an hour, yep. went and grabbed his computer, threw together a playlist, and people just added to the queue. And it was like, whatever is going to play is going to play. Yeah. And everyone was in for it and down for it. It was like, whatever, let's go. No, yeah, I've never, 
I can't. I don't think anyone else could have done that. It was crazy. Band. I mean, like a legit, not just like a couple person band. Like we don't need to yes. go on this because I know it's jarring or traumatic for for you to uh, go back through. But giant, amazing. What I would assume would have been an amazing live band. We heard them play for like fifteen minutes, I guess. Yeah. Left. Um. And yeah, you guys truly didn't bat an eye. Oh, let's throw a playlist together and keep this thing rolling. Like I said, no one does it like you guys, and it was amazing. That says a lot of things about your guests and family and everyone involved. Because, I mean, you guys were just like, no, like, we're, we're going to do this. Yeah. It might have I been. mean, I think so much. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I think some of that also is just Jewish culture of like, you know, you're, you're not going to let like one thing affect it. And even though it's a big thing that we were planning on, I think it was a nine piece band or 10 piece band or something that we had it looked like a lot of people um or nine person um a lot of people but it was like okay it is what it is there's no sense in you know saying the day is ruined because things had already gone wrong like you just keep going yeah you guys did um that was that was seriously incredible um okay like you said we we've become the four of us you dan caitlin and i um become fast friends um we we've we've let the group chat go a little um oh, vacant's not the right word um go a little dark so we need to pick that back no. up but anyway I would love um i've loved getting to know you guys was so thankful that we could um shoot another wedding that you were also in shortly after so we got to see you pretty quickly and yeah. it's actually there that we ended up chatting a little bit about doing what we're doing right now and uh, in all seriousness i i had in no way forgotten i was like i need to when's the best time i need, I need to reach out to alana because i want to have her on here to um share what we're what we're going to get into in a second um so i want to preface that by saying we've been planning to do this for a while and we chatted a little bit about what this could look like um but fortunately for me that you know we get to do this but unfortunately i, I didn't want it to be because of this but um there's been a recent especially from my, from my point of view, um, recent rise in anti-Semitism going on really in the world. Um, much of the focus I think will be here, here in America, but we'll take that different directions. Alana, um, I'll kind of open it up for you, but, um, we're going back and forth in DMs. You reached out and we kind of, anyway, long story short, we moved this up because, and I'm glad you reached out, um, wanting to, if we're already going to do this, have a chance to unpack some of this here on the podcast, um, addressing the rise in anti-Semitism and whether it's because of yay, formerly known as Kanye or myriad of other things. Um, and I'm very thankful for you reaching out because, um, this is just an area in so many ways that I'm very ignorant to and need a lot of education. I know it will be great for everyone listening to hear this. So I love all the, the paragraph long questions we have coming up that we're just going to dive into a little bit. So let's start there. Um, I'm going to start really basic listeners, not just for you. This is very much for me as well. Needing to need to learn some of this stuff. So like I said, right now we're living in the midst of a rise in anti-Semitism. I was wondering, Alana, if you could start there, can you talk about how, I guess that's kind of come about and how it's been affecting one, the Jewish community, your mm-hmm. community and 
also really you personally? Yeah. So the thing with anti-Semitism is it is nothing new, right? Anti-Semitism really moves in a cycle. Um, and the cycle kind of looks like this is the people in charge, isolate the Jews, um, particularly from a, oppressed groups and then the oppressed groups blame the Jews. And so then, and then the Jews attempt to break this cycle by cooperating with the ruling ideology. So that has happened again and again throughout history. Right now, what we're seeing, right, is the people in power and the ruling class is white supremacy. And so the reason this happened, sorry, backing up one more second. The reason this happens is because Jews Right, Jews are, are known for being accountants and lawyers and doctors, okay. right? So we're not owning things, but we manage people. And so yeah. because yeah. we're that middle class that goes in between the rulers and um, the working class, what the rulers do is they say, okay, I'm going to raise the price for this. Don't blame me. Blame your tax collector, Right. The Jews, they're the ones doing this. That's who you should blame. So the ruling class blames the Jews instead of the actual people in charge. Um, and so this cycle is actually very important to upholding white supremacy. So that way the people in charge can keep being the people in charge. And that's also one of the reasons why Jews today are more associated with white people. Well, it's for a lot of reasons, but one is because of trying to appease that ruling class is to assimilate. And so to assimilate with ruling class, we've yeah. adopted a lot yeah. of white culture as well. Makes sense. Um, I mean, it reminds me of what we say on here a lot. Um, the white, white supremacy is bad for everybody. Yeah. A lot of times we end up talking about um, racism between, you know, white and black community largely in the Asian community. We've, we've unpacked a lot of different cultures, but um, I, I come back to white supremacy is bad for everybody, including most white people um, or people who are white passing or whether they, they associate themselves or not as white. A lot of white people don't even realize that it's affecting them in a negative way, um, especially yeah. if they're not the, at the top of um, socioeconomic status. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That um so you say can you give like historical context to what's behind um yeah Jews being known as or I guess you said known as but holding the managing occupational jobs? Yeah, um it's because Christian in Christianity you're not allowed to loan money. Um, and so Jews were not allowed to hold a lot of jobs, but one of the jobs we could hold was to loan money. Um, and because money is such a sensitive topic for so many people, it, Jews became known right as bankers and um, things like that as well. And so that's why Jews are associated with money. It's not right. The, the anti-Semitic trope is that we're greedy it's not. It's literally the only job we were allowed to have. But then when people got mad at the loan systems because they didn't have money, you blame the Jews, right? You don't blame the system that put you in this position in which you need a loan. You blame the Jews because they were the ones giving out the loans. Um, and you can see that clearly in textile study today, like The Merchant of Venice by Shakespeare. 
um, at the end, right, the whole thing is that the the loan, the person who gave out the loan, who is Jewish, has to cut off a pound of flesh in order to match the pound of money or something like that. It's been a minute since I've read Shakespeare. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm an English major. I I remember all of that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. But no, that that, Um, okay. But that's really the history of it. Of because that was the only job Jews could have. And so that's what we did to make a living. Yeah. Um, I talked to some of my uh, friends in the Asian community, and it's similar to, I heard this explained one time, of the tension between um, the black community mm-hmm. um, throughout history and at times between even Asian community. And it was very similar had a lot to do with white supremacy and it, it reminds me of kind of the same metaphor even of a lot of um, Asian people that had immigrated to America often held like jobs um, owning their own stores, like um, convenience mm-hmm. stores type thing. And the upper to middle class, upper class white people. So yeah, white supremacy had, collectively kind of caution them to you know watch out for black people which is feeds into the stereotype even nowadays of how many of you know my black friends and acquaintances say oh yeah I mean I remember or it's not I'm just used to like being looked at or like even followed through a, a department store or something or a convenience store um it's kind of under that same umbrella to me it reminds me of you know so the the Asian um convenience store owners being labeled or being warned to watch out for black people coming in their stores it's it's you know i agree with you wholeheartedly it's white supremacy that is informing all of this but that you know the result is going to be tension between black people and asian people right um, so it, yeah because right. it, it it's, it's that. in their benefit to set up that so that way you're not actually blaming the, the people in charge or not blaming the system Right. The other thing about anti-Semitism is that Jews are often seen as the ones, quote unquote, pulling the strings. And so yeah. again, instead of actually looking at the system and saying, oh, it's a system that's flawed. You're a lot of or the trope is right. You're saying, oh, no, the Jews are the ones making these things happen, you know, with our the way we control the weather, which is crazy. So how much how often have you heard something like that? Because I mean, I. Like I said, yeah. I'm I'm very ignorant to a lot of this stuff, and I you can read anything. So I've heard that, but I'm like, does that? That's one of those things that I'm like, who says that? Who's I mean, Major Taylor Green, Marjorie Taylor Green. Okay, controlling the she, weather. She was saying that. She was saying she was saying us with our space lasers. And I was like, lady, if we had, if we could control the weather, let me tell you, this would not be it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As if, yeah, like the weather is, like, what does that even mean? Right. If I could control the weather, it would not have downpoured on my wedding day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I promise you, I don't. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, you you know, we still had a nine-piece band and all, okay. I know. It turned out great. It turned out great. I stand by that. Oh, yeah, it turned out amazing. All right, so uh, uh, let's keep going a little bit. So do you feel like, I think I probably know the answer, but do you feel like non-Jewish people um, know very much about Jewish history besides, I mean, besides Hitler, Hitler was bad, the Holocaust was bad, et cetera? 
Definitely not. Um, I mean, even the level of education and history now, it's just a side unit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it needs to be its own unit because with the cycle of anti-Semitism, really as I tried to say before of this happens and it reaches a peak, something really bad happens, such as a pogrom um, or, you know, being exiled from somewhere or something like the Holocaust. And then it brings it down because people find enough empathy to be like, oh, wait, that's really messed up, that whatever. And so it lies dormant for a minute and then it, it cycles back around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you miss a lot of that history of the Holocaust is obviously the most recent thing in history that's happened that's beyond extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, but for our entire history, Jews have been persecuted and blamed like even i went to a private jewish school growing up k through eight and in third grade we had a project and the question was if you had to flee what three items would you bring and you know that for me as a project i'm like yeah like of course sure let's think about it let's talk about it mm-hmm. um, and i talked about it recently with one of my friends who's not serious and they're like wait you were doing what kind of project like that's so messed up and i had to stop and think about it and be like wait a second that is kind of messed up for a third grader to be thinking about this. But huh. that is the Jewish mentality of you never really know. Wow. Yeah, man. Okay, that's informative. Um, you said a couple of things that I would even ask to expand upon. I've seen even just scrolling through social media that I'm like, I, I don't, I just don't know context or like what um, things are. And I'm just, I'm going to be honest with like how ignorant I could sound. Like what is... Can you explain what a pogrom is? Yes. A pogrom is basically like Kristallnacht. If you know, if you Kristallnacht in the Holocaust is the night, it means the night of broken glass. People went in and destroyed Jewish businesses, Jewish homes. Mm. That's a pogrom. Okay. Uh, people would go in and destroy Jewish neighborhoods um, and things like that. So that way Jews couldn't live there anymore okay. and would have to leave. Gotcha. That's what I had seemed to gather, but yeah, thanks. I, I wanted to ask. Yeah. Um, along these lines, like keep, uh, we, we vetted these questions together a, a little bit, listeners, so I'm not totally just throwing these out of nowhere at, at Alana, but you're, you're doing great, Alana, <laughs> with this history and stuff. What are some other... <laughs> that Jewish education really yeah, came yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> this is amazing. What are some important... I mean, daddy shouts to you. <laughs> yeah. What are some important pieces of history? So let's keep going. Um, yeah. That are kind of like non-negotiables to understand for someone who wants to be an ally to the Jewish community. I mean, I think it's really less like specific um, moments of history, of, but it's really just the general cycle of knowing anti-Semitism is not new. It is not okay. novel and it's not going to go away tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest thing for me that I wish people would know is I just wish people were louder allies is really what I would like. Um, I think one of the hardest things is, you know, like under black lives matter and BLM, there was never a moment of Jewish lives matter, even Mm -hmm. though in Charlottesville, when they marched, right, they chanted Jews will not replace us. Like that's not the Holocaust. That's not 80 years ago, right? That's less than five 
years ago yeah. that that happened, right? Like that was a week ago that people were on a major highway in LA saying things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that's really one of the hardest things of it feels like people are very quick to jump on and say, yes, Black Lives Matter. Yes, like these people and these people and these people, but not Jews. And I think one of the reasons for that is because Jews were seen as white and we're seen as successful, right? We're doctors, we're lawyers, like we're doing fine. Yeah. We're doing yeah. fine only because white supremacy has set that, right? You go back to the 1920s and in the 1920s, you see uh, white supremacists were afraid of immigrants. Jews were immigrants, yeah. so right. Jews and Irish need not apply. We were right there. My grand, my own grandfathers, both of them. Um, one, well, one was told he was going to be a doctor, and the other one really wanted to be a doctor. Both of them did not get into colleges, med schools in America because of quotas on Jews. Um, they, wow. they reached the quota, they didn't get in, so one became an engineer instead, and the other had to go to Holland in order to go to med school. Wow. Um, that is again very like immediate history. It's my grandparents. It's not like random strangers or anything. But then in the 1960s, um, white supremacy feared less of immigrants and more about the black community because the black community, there the Jim Crow Jim Crow laws were struck down, and black people were moving north, um, and so then they became afraid of different skin colors. And so now that is the tension. And so in order to expand the minority, Irish people, Jewish people were now all lumped in as white. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, is that I don't feel white, right? Like when I have to fill out paperwork and I say I'm white, I don't feel that because I, I look white. And then you hear my name, Ilana Mayra Horowitz, and you know that I'm not white. I'm Jewish. That's different. And I, I wish I had some box that defined me. Um, and I would define myself as a Semite, right? Of um, Because Semite is a ethnicity, right? We have, I mean, Jews have a common shared land, a common shared language, a common shared history, culture, even diseases. Me and my husband, we have to go through testing, specific testing, because we're both Ashkenazi Jews, Ashkenazi, meaning we are descendants of Eastern Europe. Um, okay. So we have to look for diseases that only really happen, which is Tay-Sachs, and make sure that our child is not a potential carrier. And if they are, how likely is that? And if, depending on how likely it is, we might have to go through special treatments when we try, start trying to have kids um, to make mm -hmm. sure that our kid is okay. Wow. Um, that's really helpful um, to understand. Like, yeah, thank you for, for sharing all this. This is as helpful yeah. if more than I knew it would be. Would you say, you said a lot um, in there. Would you say, so yeah. there's like, I picked up on a similarity of something I've, I've dealt with, but then also we've talked a lot about on here is uh, mm -hmm. the model minority myth mm -hmm. that largely I'd say is, kind of, I mean, I, I think kind of exclusively, you know, apply to the Asian community for the most part, but would, it sounds like that is largely also something that you would identify with as part of the Jewish community that I, I, for sure. again, I could be someone shoot me name or something if it's like, Hey, how do you not know this? Like I'm willing to take <laughs> it on the chin, but, um, 
<laughs> I've not heard a lot of it applied to outside the Asian cult, Asian culture, but specifically not even to, to Jewish culture, really. Yeah, no, I would definitely describe Jews as a desired minority. Okay. Um, again, Jews, we make up about 0.2% of the population of the world, mm. about 2.4% of America. So definitely a minority. Um, definitely definitely going to take over the world. We sure are with yeah. our 0.2%. Mm. Set on world domination. Here we come. Control the world. Um, no, but we we are Jews as a culture really um, stresses the importance of education, and mm-hmm. that's been just throughout our history. And so that's one of the reasons why we are quote unquote a desirable minority is because we value education so highly, and so that's why we become mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I picked up on that. And then let me see if I want to come back to this in a second or or just right now. So um, I keep making you do the historical stuff. Um, yeah, so let's dive into this a little bit. You you brought it up and it's a delicate conversation, but I'm thankful because I know that you are willing and really like eloquent in navigating this. So you brought up so the tension of, let's say, a, a Charlottesville. So we've also talked a lot about that. That 2017 um, in Charlottesville, um, the um, alt-right movement that was really emboldened, much like it has been now, like on on the people on the bridge in L.A. um, after Kanye West statements um, and other myriad of things that has um, come under the rise in anti-Semitism. But I'd say we've, we've unpacked something like, or literally, Charlottesville and what happened there as very concerning for um, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and then really, I, you know, I'd say we've grouped all people of color in that in being the people who are most hurt with everything that's going on there because of the emboldening of white supremacy um, back in 2017. You've also brought up how, you know, in history no choice of the Jewish community and you of on your own, but because of white supremacy, like stripped you of your really cultural identity to lump you in as just more white people to thus turn you, turn you against everyone who wasn't, you know, white. Yeah. Butchering this a little bit. So how, but like, how do you, cause I know you are like a, a big time, like advocate for, everyone all the margin marginalized people groups that you can be i guess i won't throw everyone on you but everyone you can be like you're amazing you speak up for better than anyone i you know i i I follow that's in my circle at all so how do you navigate um feeling this way personally about your um community's history the personal Mm -hmm. um discrimination racism um you navigate, but then still empathizing and caring just as much about, you know, a Black Lives Matter movement or the Asian community and not letting that be something that is, you're essentially, you're not someone that I think lets um, yourself be turned against others, experience the same thing as you, even if the the goal is to have have us, I'll say us, like turn against each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, I got that. Well, I think... 
first of all, it's not, it's not a slice of pie, right? If you have more rights, it doesn't mean that I have less rights. Mm. Like we should all have the same rights. Um, and historically the Jewish population has been very supportive of movements that equate to BLM. Like for example, the synagogue, my parents go to, um, the founder of that synagogue march with, uh, Dr. King, mm. right? Like in Selma, um, and that relationship is something that is still upheld today. There is a black Jewish community in the city of Chicago. That's where my parents are from, um, that they have a partnership with and they switch off going to that synagogue once a month, which I think is beautiful. And I've been yeah. to that service and it's really, really powerful. It's very spiritual. Um, but so it's not a pie, right? It's more rights for you means more rights for me. Mm-hmm. The other piece of it is, why this uh, myth of attention exists is because Jews are can be seen as white and the tension is really with whites versus black. But mm-hmm. when you remember that Jews aren't, the Jews are only white when it benefits white supremacy and they're not white when it doesn't benefit, when it benefits them also, Jews are on a, right that very weird middle ground of we don't know where we stand from one moment to the next because we can be considered white until we're not. Um, and so going on for everybody, I, I always think back to that poem that I, I read in school, I don't know how many times, right. Of like, you know, first they came for, I don't remember what the things are, but like, first they came for the so-and-so and I wasn't a so-and-so, so I didn't speak up. Then they came for the next people and I wasn't those people. So I didn't speak up. And then there was no one left to speak for me. And I never want anyone to ever feel like there's no one left to speak for them. Yeah. And so you have to push up the voices and I have to use my privilege where I can. So because I can be considered white, mm-hmm. I need to use that voice to promote the people that white supremacy is, is trying to shut out. But when yeah. I go protesting in the BLM movements, I actually wear a shirt that clearly shows that I am Jewish. Um, mm. It's called, I wear a shirt um, saying tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. And that okay. is what I am trying to do. Okay. Wait, what do you mean? You So you were that at BOM protests or marches? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do people ever, do people ever ask you about that? Of, of Usually not. Um, the only times people have come up is, is fellow Jews. And it's just a moment of like, oh, hey. Solidarity. Nice. <laughs> yeah. What have conversations, whether it's been at a protest wearing that shirt or somewhere else i don't know conversation like this one so like what um so what do you say to people if it happens like whether it's at a protest sees your sees your shirt about um advocating for the jewish community um what do you say to people that hold these views because they're they're there um whether they've explicitly said this to you but who hold the view of look you're you're white passing whether that's your fault or not um, and they might not even give you that much credit, but um, your pain is is less than you know someone in the black community or something. Do, have you ever had a conversation like that, and how would you navigate that? Um, I none come to mind, but I think that you should never compare pain, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're all victims of white supremacy, um, and the level of pain, I suppose, that one can experience 
is all there, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm a victim, you're a victim. You're not going to get anywhere in saying, oh, but I'm more of a victim. Even though, honestly, I agree with that. I I completely agree that I live with privilege as a white passing person. 100% I do. Um, And I know that I have that privilege. But that doesn't mean that I haven't experienced anti-Semitism. That doesn't mean that, like, to be honest, sometimes when I wear that shirt, I can get a little bit afraid because people can get aggressive with things Mm -hmm. like that, which I always never understand. I just think it's so counterintuitive of um, why does it matter if a white person, like there are places that what that white people, white passing people, I think it's not for them, but I think a BLM protest, it's about saying, Hey, the people care. And it's not only black people who care about black lives. Everyone should care about black lives because black lives do matter. Yeah. Um, and so if anyone would come up and say anything like that to me, I would question them of why would you not want me speaking for you or sh- or supporting you like what are you trying to get out of that mm-hmm. what about and i'm not yeah. trying to back you back you into a corner i'm asking this yeah. part this part to be helpful because i think i don't know if i was listening i would want to ask all the questions so like for sure what if is it a place to what about like something specific has just happened like in well, the black community or I'll speak, you know, the Asian community. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you show up to a protest advocating on that, like at that time for the Jewish community. Um, do you think there's like a time element where something is appropriate or less appropriate to do? You know what I mean? I don't know what you mean. Okay. So I've had like, um, I've heard pushback, um, to, I think I must, I'm to be clear, I'm not saying that you are saying this. So like when you yeah, brought yeah. up the phrase and it's a, a buzzword or buzz phrase um, across the board. So it's in no way on you. But the um, when BLM was rising up the, the movement mm-hmm. to even say like, you know, Jewish lives matter too or Asian lives matter. People are going to immediately equate that to an all lives matter stance. Right. Which takes away from the very point of why BLM, um, again, not the organization at this point, but the, just yes, the sentiment yes. is brought up. Like, what do you, what are your thoughts? Like, what would you advise someone as far as like time goes? Do you know what I mean? Yes. I really think that there is a time to fight for everybody. Mm-hmm. And when the BLM movement was like really peaking, we needed to focus on BLM. Yeah. Because again, more rights for you mean more rights for me. Yeah. So if the Black Lives Matter movement can show that Black Lives Matter, now that's more people in power and more people at the table who can help those who are oppressed and can help other minorities, yeah. right? So other minorities being recognized as a legitimate voice and as an important voice who needs to be there, it only benefits everybody else. So when we were going through that, for me, that was my focus of like, right now, Black Lives Matter is having their moment, give them their full moment and then some, right? Like, let's push this thing as hard and as far as we possibly can. And then, you know, when they have more, hopefully they can turn around and say, okay, who else needs that support now that we have a stronger voice? our Jewish allies, our Asian allies. Great. Let's get them in here. Let's get them going. Yeah. Love that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. 
Love that. And to be clear, like you're saying, we should all be like, we need to be in this together because of humanity. Really, yes. like we need to be in this together. And it's not, there's not, an, there shouldn't be, there's not an ulterior motive of, okay, we need to give the black community their moment, you know, in 2016 um, or 2020 all, with all this going on. And then we'll get our moment. Like that shouldn't, that's not what we're saying. Like that's not your frame of mind, but it's, we can't, it's almost like we can't expect others you know to care about our oppression and our story when it's when we don't care about others as well and it's not like in a a one-off like you give then i'll give it's like no we all need to give to each other all the time and then i think the natural fruit of that is going to be that we we we're there for each other already right yeah and it's also through building relationships that a lot of these myths of around anti-Semitism are broken, right? Like people say that Jews have horns. Again, insane. I'm a human. Humans don't have horns. Um, but I have been people's first Jewish person that they've met, mm-hmm. which is also very interesting. And and even in this podcast, you know, like I, I do want to say, of course, that everything I'm saying is from my experience and my opinion. Um, yeah. Except for some historical things that are just fact. But I'm one Jewish person and other Jewish people are going to have very different experiences than I, right? Like for example, because I went to private Jewish school K through eight, obviously I was only grew up with Jews around me at my school. Um, I've always lived in areas that have a a larger Jewish population. Um, And a big reason for that is because I'm very culturally Jewish as well as religiously, Mm. but also because I do feel safer, right? Like I don't, want to be living in a place where people are marching saying Jews will replace us or Jews don't replace us like that is terrifying and so I'm not going to choose to live there um and so just reminding of like my experiences are not everyone's experiences yeah absolutely you you're not speaking for all Jewish people here on this episode by any means in the Jewish community like any community it's not a monolith yes um, I'd also, yeah, I meant to come back there, just want to even repent and express some um, asking for forgiveness to, and, you know, with listeners listening and you, Alana, with um, even bringing up Charlottesville. We've talked about um, the events in Charlottesville a bunch of times off and on here on this podcast, um, both planned times and non-planned times, and mm-hmm. we haven't mentioned the Jewish community at all. So I'll like, be the first to even put that out there of it was very much focusing on how I felt. And um, I know very few Jewish people as well. So that's another proximity thing. And um, I, I really was ignorant to that being a big part of that of that day. So, yeah. And, I, and that's exactly what I mean, where we really yeah. need those louder allies because because Jews are seen as white and successful it yeah. is equated with Jews are fine. They don't need our help. They're, they're not marginalized. They're not, you know, in trouble, but, but the truth is we are, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but like, let's talk about the Holocaust. The Holocaust was not that long ago. You know, mm-hmm. I'm very lucky in the fact of like to be alive, because if you look at my family tree, it narrowed 
my great grandmother, I was named, her name was Hannah. I was named after her. She was one of nine siblings and she was the only one to make it. So wow. thank God, wow. I, you know, I would say I could only come from her lineage, mm. but you look at my family tree and now we went from nine branches to one. Wow. Um, and so that, I mean, let's start there. Um, yeah. And that's really where this new wave of anti-Semitism is on the rise again, because after the Holocaust, it was at an all-time low. Anti-Semitism was at an all-time low because six million Jews were just killed. Yeah. And you forget yeah. how big of a number six million is because, you know, you're desensitized. It's just one word, a million. That is mm-hmm. so many people. Like just truly, truly so many people. And it's so horrifying. Um, and you, so it was at an all-time low and now people Again, it's a side unit. If it's taught at all, there's so many Holocaust deniers who say, oh, the Jews are just making it up for our sympathy. The I don't, I mean, first of all, why would anyone stage that? Why would anyone make that up? Um, but it's also crazy how fast people are desensitized to it. I took a trip to Poland and I went to um, many different concentration camps um, and there was someone just walking their dog like right along the border of it. And I mm. thought that was wild. And I mean, I understand people live there. Like, where else are you going to walk your dog? But at the same time, like, you're walking past past a concentration camp where hundreds of thousands of people were murdered. Like, I don't know what's under that ground, but uh, probably a mass grave or two. Um, And it's just crazy how quickly it just becomes, oh, ancient history, ancient history. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Mm -hmm. It's very recent history. Yes, I don't even, I don't know if we closed this loop because we started there. So there's a recent sudden rise in anti-Semitism. It was at all time low after the Holocaust. But what, you gave a lot of cultural and historical context, but what, in your opinion, or maybe it's fact, um, just objectively, what has led to that happening? Do you have thoughts? I honestly don't know. I think it's just following the cycle of just it being on the rise. Historically, it's, uh, anti-Semitism has rose in times of unrest. We are definitely yeah. in a time of unrest yeah. um, in our society. And so I think right in that time of people suffering, you look for someone to blame. Yeah. And again, you blame the person you can see. So right now, it's very, if you don't understand the systems, it's very hard to blame white supremacy because you don't understand how that has impacted you, but you can see the person that has impacted you. And that person is Jewish because we go into, we tend to go into positions of management. Um, and, and that's the person you blame. And I think it's just that cycle of the person pulling the strings. What are some of the, what have been some of the, ramifications for the the sudden rise in anti-Semitism. So, for example, there's been a rise in violence toward the Asian community, specifically the elderly. Like, that's just been, and we've talked about that here before, too. Um, Like, that's literally what it has looked like. Like, in what ways, what does it, what form does it take, has it been taking on the Jewish community? Um, Has it been violence? Has it been discrimination in the workplace. I, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's been a lot of violence. If you remember a couple of years ago, the tree of life synagogue 
um, yeah. that was shot up in Pittsburgh, yep. uh, which is where my mom's family is from. Okay. Um, wow. I actually knew somebody, my grandmother's, my grandma had already passed at the time to which I say, thank God, which is horrible, but I would not mm. have wanted her to experience that. Her downstairs neighbor, um, who my grandma's from Canada originally. And so this other woman, okay. Joyce Feinberg also emigrated from Canada. And so they were friends and she was one of the people who was shot in the tree of life shooting. Um, it's manifested itself in that it, last year, I think there was a rabbi who was held hostage for many hours. I think it was like 12 hours or something um, with a threat. Thank God nobody was murdered there. But it's now it's seen every time I go to synagogue or a Jewish event of any kind, there's always security. When I go to high holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I have to go through metal detectors in order to get to service. And that's just kind of a part of life. And you forget to reflect that that's crazy Um, until, you know, you're at something like this and you realize, wait, that's not normal and that shouldn't be normal. And yet it's the norm. Yeah. Wow. That's really helpful to understand just a lot of the recent context as well. A few more before we, before we wrap up, but we, we've talked a little bit about the, the workplace and even, you know, on one end, some historical things that have placed you in place, the Jewish community in charge of a lot of managerial occupation, stuff like that. But um, whether this is your experience or not, um, what types of things do you feel like Jewish people have to do to assimilate into their workplace or just their surroundings? Because um, you, you brought that up, I think, even off mic a little bit. Because, you know, like you said, you're essentially the culture has been stripped so much of what it is. And so we talk a lot about on here about what it would look like um, to for uh, minorities, people of color to um, be able to be their full selves and that that's a great sign of like, okay, that's what it actually looks like to have a diverse setting, not, you know, beyond tokenism, stuff like that. So what would you say, like, how does it look, whether it's like you, your friend group or whatnot, what do you guys kind of unanimously know that you guys are assimilating or doing to assimilate into your surrounding? Um, I mean, a big thing that I do is I go to work on days that I wish I didn't have to because of Jewish holidays, right? Like I'm a teacher and I don't get Jewish holidays off. Mm. So in order to take the holidays that mean the most to me off, first of all, I have to use my PTO or my paid time off to do that. And then I, as a teacher, it's, a lot of work to take a day off. Um, cause it's not just like, okay, cover my emails for a day. It's okay. Here are my sub plans. Yeah. Here's yeah. getting the kids ready for the sub plans. Here's coming back to deal with the fallout of the sub plans did not go as planned, um, in order to make all of that time up. Yeah. And so that's just one example of a huge thing for me and my students, because of my students who also have to miss for them, it's really scary. There's a lot in terms of falling behind. They're, they're not afraid. Um, I live in Northwest DC, so they're not so afraid of like people saying no, there's do, but of catching up. If you, depending on how religious you are, there's 
not depending, there's a lot of holidays in the fall, right? Every, or a lot of people know of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Mm. But what they don't know is that that is immediately followed by Sukkot, which is a holiday um, commemorating when the Jews were wandering the desert for 40 years, right? They lived in these movable huts. And so we recreate those movable huts um, and we eat in them and sleep in them for a week. And then right after that, we finish reading the Torah, right? The Old Testament, and we start the Torah new. And so there's a big celebration of like, oh, yeah. we made it through another year. We made it through another reading of the Torah. We had to start over and fresh slate, all of those themes. And so it's just holiday after holiday after holiday. And if you're missing all of that, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of schoolwork um, that you have to make up. And remembering the fact on a Jewish holiday and every Saturday, if you celebrate Shabbat, yeah. You don't use electricity. You cannot write. So it's not like, oh, I'm taking the day off. I'm going to synagogue in the morning. And then like, I can catch up on work in the afternoon. No, like I, you're literally not allowed to work. That is the entire wow. point. Um, okay. And so having to get all caught up on all those things when you can't, but that means you can't enjoy the celebrations of these holidays because you're so worried about, having to make that time up, having to figure it out and being in charge. Like this year I started at a new school and I was so overwhelmed. Um, started my new school. I didn't take any days off for Rosh Hashanah. I just was like, you know what? I'll go in. So I went in, taught first period. I'm off second period. So I ran to shul, stayed through second period and lunch, and then came back and taught third and fourth period. Wow. And I did that two days in a row. Um, you know, thank God my school and synagogue are nearby that is just happened yeah. to be. Um, but not being able to actually celebrate my holidays because they're not given and I don't have the PTO to take off all of them. I barely had the PTO to take off two of them when life is happening. Yeah. Wow. That's a huge example. Um what do you, so what do you do? I mean, you just said what you did one time, but like, what do you and your family and friends do? Do you just say, well, is it so like, I want to even assume you could do this. Like, it seems a lot more, there's a lot more, at least in my circle compared to my circles, my Christian circles, um, pride and tradition in the Jewish community and how you celebrate everything really. Um, so like, could, could you plan like with your family and or friends, like, okay, we'll try and get off this amount of time or like celebrate a different time. Or like, do you guys just like, when was the last time you, you celebrated things, if ever, how they should be celebrated? Um, the last time I celebrated everything was my gap year in Israel between high school and college. Um, okay. so many, many years ago, <laughs> um, very intentional. Last time I did everything fully because okay. in Israel, the Jewish holidays are the right. majority holidays. So everyone gets it off. But the other thing about Judaism is that modern day Judaism, my favorite analogy, it's really followed by Judaism, right? So everything is laid out and then you pick and choose what you do. Okay. So there are people who are going to pick and choose and do everything. What did you call it? You cut out for once, like a split second. Salad bar Judaism. Salad bar Judaism. Okay. It's pick and the choose. best analogy. All right. You pick yeah. and choose what you do. Everyone has the lettuce base. 
And then from there, it's really do you. Um, so I'm, okay. if you asked a religious Jewish person, if I'm religious, they would say, absolutely not. If you asked a okay. non-religious Jewish person, if I'm religious, they would say yes, for sure. Okay. So again, that range of even within Judaism, where I fit is like huge. Um, so if I were to do things the way that I would like to do things, it would be completely different because I would get the time off of work without having to make up that time. Um, not only in terms of, again, taking the time off for my personal yeah. limited days, yeah. but also I have to plan for that time and it, that's whatever, but my lesson plans are really good, but in order to make really good lesson plans, it takes hours. Yeah. Um, and so to not have to worry about it and just know of like, Oh, I can actually just celebrate and relax without having to work nights and weekends and whatever in order to figure it out and make sure that I can take it off. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Extremely convicting. Um, largely a Christian audience on here and then including myself, just, you know, listeners think about, I'll say this to myself, even like how offensive the notion of just having to work every Sunday regularly, no questions asked, um, would be, I know I would, and I mean, I think many, many people like it's not even held. I don't think as sacred as like you, you guys would probably hold a Saturday or your holidays. And a lot of times, like, like I said, every, you know, it's not right. a monolith. Everyone is different I mean, extremes. Really, I think the comparison would be Christmas, right? You don't have a right. Christmas break. You don't have Christmas off at all. Yeah. So now Christmas is on a Tuesday. Christmas Eve is on Monday night. Mm -hmm. That means Monday, you got to make sure your sub plans are in. You have a sub to begin with and all of that is going on. Okay. So now you're off Monday night and Tuesday, but already Tuesday, you've gotten three emails with people saying, whatever, are you going to yeah. ignore it? Are you going to respond? What are you going to do? It's Christmas. Now it's Tuesday night. You have to go back to work the next day. Cause you don't have enough PTO to, you know, recover from Christmas or do yeah. whatever other traditions you would do the next day or anything. So you're back to work the next day. Are you working that night? Are you getting up early the next day? Like, when, when we talk about not having Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur off, like that's the level that we're talking about. I'm not yeah. talking about a Saturday. Like I'm, I'm talking about like the peak of it. Right. Our, really our most sacred holidays. Even like the, so there's three major holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Passover. And Passover is particularly meaningful because my family, we just have, I have very strong traditions. Um, yeah. And this year Passover falls on a Wednesday night and Thursday night. And so I'm left with knowing of, I cannot take three days in a row off of school. There's no way. So yeah. that first night of Passover, I won't be home for, and I just have to, I mean, I'll make alternative plans, but come to terms with like, okay, I'll be home for the second night, which thank goodness in my family is the more meaningful one, which is not normal. Um, but we're, we host the second night and we go somewhere else the first night. And so I'll be home for the second night, but there's no way I can make it home for both. Right. And like, that is what it is. And you just have to make do. Right. Right. I just, as you we were talking, I thought of a personal experience I had with this I indirectly. So I used to work, um, I worked a lot of restaurant jobs growing up and I remember working one and I feel like this is just a good example of power structure, 
But um, so we had, you know, uh, a head, I worked in the kitchen, a head chef who was in charge of everything, obviously, including making the schedule, calling all the shots, who gets off when, stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to take too much blame because I was extremely young, but looking back, I can, I can see what was happening. But of course, holidays are coming off. Everyone wants and is requesting, you know, Christmas, like you said, Christmas off, Christmas through New Year's, whatever, any kind of combination. And, um, it kind of came down to, well, we need someone to work. And so there's a chef. And so he eventually was kind of just like, great boss. Like, uh, like he was, he was great, but it was just, just like someone has to use some colorful choice words, um, has to blank work. So he just kind of like laid down the schedule and was just like, someone's coming in. Um, and all of us were like, no, we were all just kind of like, I'm not coming in. It's like, blah, blah, blah. I, I gave off, I put in this for a long time ago, like that I'm going to be off all this stuff. Um, and then our, I remember just our sous chef, so like second in the kitchen, like second in, in command. Like he's essentially all of our boss, uh, other than the head chef, um, is Jewish. And he just like, he had finally already said like, yeah, I already told him I'm going to come in. Like, but just proceeded to essentially curse us all out and been like, went on a monologue about like, of course I'm going to like be the one to come in and, you know, most sacred holiday, this one, this one, this one, like I'm never going to be home for all this because you guys are like all off. So I remember hearing that and hearing just like how upset he was. Again, I, I was either late high school, or early college anyway, was just like, whoa, I, I would like to say I was convicted and was like, oh man, like, yeah, we should really do something about this. But I selfishly, I was just like, oh, all right, we got that settled. We're, we got off for Christmas. This guy needs to calm down. A little too angry, but hindsight man what a yeah what just part of that is the the christian normative society that we live in that is very uh hidden almost because you know it's it just is our culture it is what it is like Mm -hmm. and the other thing is most jews right we're very much first to step on the plane like of course i'm gonna work christmas like it's not a problem da 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 but on the flip side i know i get pushback well, it wasn't even you Christmas know, even. Like, like he was, he was clearly he was missing something, and I can't remember um, what it was. But he was, yeah. It, so it wasn't even just Christmas Day, but it was he was missing something very important. And I just remember right. being like, uh, I could care less. I got off my day. Well, that's so. because right Christmas break is winter break, right? And so the time his kids are off is. Which, if you're in college, is, you know, for yeah, a month. Right. It's, it's, all, it's the same time of yeah. like, it's very, it's very hard. And, you know, and it's just very erased of like, it's like a given. Oh, of course I'm going to have Christmas off and the couple days before and the couple days after and yeah. it's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's just erased for other religions. Right. Beyond Jews, but. Yeah. In this conversation specifically. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. We'll get a few more minutes. Um, I'm going to, these last two, I'm going to run the gamut of emotion if you're willing to go here with me. So I'll start. Let's go. A little more sad, but I think it's going to be really important. And I, I really want to hear your thoughts on this. And then we'll end um, a little more lighthearted. But um, I'd be reminisce if I didn't, um, or remiss if I didn't, not reminisce, remiss if I didn't um, ask about this. You, um, not alluded to it, but you talked a little bit about it to begin with. But um, leading up to your wedding, which was just, you know, not very long ago, er, earlier, um, 
this year, beautiful wedding leading up to it. You lost um, one of your lifelong childhood friends. It's going to be your bridesmaid in your wedding um, to COVID. And then, correct me, I can't remember if it's a cousin or, or Dan's cousin, another relative passed away My recently. Cousin. Your cousin yeah. recently. Um, so, you know, I wanted to ask about that if you could, because um, I think just stuff is so interconnected a lot of times. And based on what we're even talking about, you know, a, a close family member and then close friend going to be in your wedding. How has grief um, played a part in what's the grief process been like? But then, um, you know, I can only imagine, but for the purposes of this conversation, even been intertwined with your culture, cultural identity. Cause I know you, yeah, it is oh, interconnected. interconnected. It's, yes. Yeah. It's, it's ingrained. Um, there's a lot of things I think that Joe, the Jews don't necessarily do right. Um, depending on what sect of Judaism you're on, but Jews do death, right. The traditional, okay, we'll definitely get into this, but the traditional Jewish, um, morning cycle is that you sit Shiva. Shiva is, uh, the root word is Shiva, which means seven. So you, you sit Shiva for seven days mm. and it's seven days after the burial, after the funeral. And the point of Shiva is that you, you basically, you stay in your home, but you're not the host. So everyone else brings food and brings community and comes over to sit and chat and just be together. So it's someone else's hosting, but at your house. Um, and it, it's just the biggest gift you can get because it's seven days where you are, you know, you're so shocked and upset and sad and you just don't have to deal with any logistics or anything. Wow. It, you get to grieve and be and do you with every, your entire community around you. Um, wow, that's incredible. And the other thing that is beautiful, but really hard is when my best friend, her name is Tammy. Um, so she died five months ago. And when she died, thank God, we, we're really good friends with my, our rabbi. Like mm -hmm. I've known her my entire life. We've, I've grown up with her. You know, she's rabbi Deborah Newman came in. I call her Debbie. Like, she did the wedding, right? Um, yes. And yeah, she was okay. going yeah, yeah. wedding. And so she, she was over at dinner that night when Tammy died. And so thank God I called mommy. Called my mom. I just absolutely sobbing. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first thing I said, I was like, what do I do? My wedding will be in the middle of Shiva. Like, what do you do? And she was like, in Judaism, you always choose joy. So Shiva mm -hmm. is interrupted for a wedding and you're supposed to go through with the wedding. Um, so already being able to rely on my religion and my culture and to say like, this is what you do. You don't have to make a decision. Like this is what you're supposed to do. You're allowed to be happy is the biggest gift. Um, I could wow. ask for, um, so that was really huge. And then just that coming together of community, uh, was, was really, really powerful and really beautiful. And then when my, it was my cousin's boyfriend who died, that has been, it was, that was crazy. He died in a car crash mm. a month ago, five weeks ago, something like that. Um, and it was just a freak accident. Um, thank God my cousin is okay. Um, his name was Mark. Mark is not Jewish. And so yeah. it's been this really neat blending of cultures yeah. and traditions. For, Tammy, Tammy for was Jewish, right? Yes. Tammy okay. was Jewish. Mark was not. And so it's been this really neat blending of traditions for Mark. 
and our family, but what's uh, really, really crazy, both Tammy and Mark were 29 when they died and they were both at my Passover Seder last year. So as I was saying, right, that second night of Seder that we host, I mean, we've hosted any, any Seder, well, our COVID Seder, which was, you know, by Zoom and by yeah. Zoom, it was like 40 people. Last year it was 20 something okay. uh, people and now two of them have died in the past five months. Wow. Um, and so we're already gearing up and inviting a lot of more people who've ever, who are ever going to come because my Seder was such a, a point for Tammy. Like my family adopted her every single year. Her parents did not live nearby. Um, so we adopted her every year. Come to Seder. You know, Mark started to come to Seder with our cousin, Nancy. Um, and I like last year, Mark was right across from me. Tammy was right next to me. And I just can't even imagine what this year is going to be like and feel mm-hmm. like and the thing that brings me the most comfort is knowing that my community will be there, right? Like Tammy's group of friends, we call the love squad. They're all coming. Um, Mark's family is coming and just knowing of like, they won't be there, but now our, our communities have expanded and grown and being able to acknowledge that and find love in that. Wow. That's, um, wow. Crazy. That's beautiful though. Yeah. Terrible. I'm really, I feel so incredibly lucky to have the strength of the community that I do and would be so lost without it. Yeah. Um, I continue to sing the praises of the wedding, but that element um, was so present. Um, I don't know how different it would have been had everything not been going on. Obviously we'd rather that, but it was, it was so beautiful. Um, Yeah. My brother drafted an incredible email, um, to every guest. I think you were on that email. Um, yeah. Of, of basically saying, right. Jews do all seasons and there's a time for mourning and there's a time for joy. And so we asked all the guests to just bring the joy to the wedding, right? Like Tammy was memorialized in other ways at the wedding. Her bouquet was walked down the aisle. Still, there was a beautiful picture of her, um, in my bouquet, the, florist put in a special flower that represented an angel and put that in there, which was really, really beautiful. Um, so Tammy was, was definitely present and there without it being the point of the day. Um, and, and my guests really did that. I, they just brought the joy and I was so grateful. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that was beautiful. Being the photographers, we get to know so many of the intricate details, um, which is so, yeah, such a privilege. So, I mean, I, we knew that ahead of time via you, but, um, being able to talk to the florist and even the vendors, us all knowing stuff, everything that was going on was, yeah, it was a privilege to be able to know that, but then be in it with you guys to a degree made it. Yeah. That whole day was just so, so beautiful. Um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that. That was, um, I knew it would be interconnected, but not even, I didn't even assume to that degree, but that was, that was so helpful, um, to understand more, um, of the, the cultural element to literally grief. Um, it's really, really informative. Um, all right. Speaking of bringing the joy, I got a lot of joy from watching a lot of things that happened on your wedding day. So, uh, I could ask a lot about, um, a lot of the things, but one, um, I should have brought Caitlin in for this part. 
Um, <laughs> Go get her. What, what, maybe, maybe we've already told her, so she might even know more than me. She might be mad if I ask this, if we already know. But um, what, what what's the tradition when everyone is doing the skits and it's just, it to me, looks like absolute chaos. Like It skits, is absolute sign. chaos. What is, like, what is that called and what is it? And before you answer, I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head. I mean, there's people running by. So music's blaring. This is when the band yes. is still there. Um, yes. <laughs> people running across with, sorry, um, with signs. Uh, I mean, it looked like it was just like inside joke after inside joke in the best way. My favorite part, Caitlin would agree, is I believe it was your dad. He was on all fours doing bullhorns across yes. the dance floor. Like what? He sure was. What was he doing? But then also what was everyone doing? And what is that called? So it's called shtick. Um, shtick. Yes, I didn't know that. Okay, I didn't know that. Shtick more broadly, it's not just uh, for a wedding. That situation is for a wedding, which I'll explain is like shtick in general is like playful pranks is the best way to explain it. There's really no English word for shtick, but it's just like you're being silly, you're being playful, you're messing around with someone, and and everyone's in on it. Like it's not shtick is not mean. It's not like you're pulling a prank. It's yeah, yeah. You're in on it, you're in on it, and you're just like goofing around. So at a wedding, something that they do, it's during the hora, right? Which is the circle dancing that you've yeah. seen a lot. And then the chairs are lifted yep. um, as a celebration. Um, and then they'll put a huge part of a wedding is that you are supposed to uh, bring joy or I forget the exact word, but bring joy with the bride and groom. So be joyous with the bride and groom. So by making them happy, you're making you happy and everything's happy. Um, and so they'll just like put two chairs down after everyone's lifted the bride and groom sit and you're just supposed to entertain them. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of that entertainment, is just like the silly inside jokes, you know, 30 second bit of like, again, the ma- music is blaring. So if you're going to put music, like yeah. you, yeah. Or if you're going to say words, like you have to put out a poster, get creative. Um, and it was, it was really one of the most fun parts of my wedding. It was just, it was so funny. And it's also really fun to plan shtick for other people's weddings. Um, Cause you're like, Hey, what joke can we do? Like what besides, how far deep can we go? Like, is that appropriate to bring up at a wedding? <laughs> just uh, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. I did. I didn't know that's what it was called. Um, I, but I love that the context is just, it's, it is what it looked like. It was supposed to be shenanigans. Yes. Shenanigans. That is exactly the word. You didn't answer what, um, if you can, what was your dad doing with. Oh, that's the floor? just random. That okay. was just funny. That's just my dad being my dad. To be clear, I what think he was on all fours doing the bullhorns. Yeah, yeah. Um, and someone else was like waving a red something. That actually, just... I don't, I don't know how he was doing two bullhorns because I think he was doing that, but I thought he also had a beer in his hand. Oh yes, what was he doing? That was incredible. It was a specific joke. I love that. Oh, I'll have to ask him. I don't remember what the joke was, but it was a specific joke yeah. that he was doing. It was a pun. Okay. We love puns in my family. One of my, one of my favorite things I captured on camera this year by far and witnessed i have to ask him the joke i'm blanking on it now also yeah i'm like beer can can beer bowl i don't know i'll ask it was very deep so, very so funny good. yeah i'm sure so so good um all right alana this has been great thank you so much for um sacrificing some time to come on here we have i mean my pleasure this has been great we didn't really even tackle the other hats you wear you're a dancer and you're a teacher, as you've alluded to throughout. So much to ask you about with your vocation. So 
I'll have to have you back. But um, so you're dancer for Baltimore Ravens. How's that's the dream. The dream is to dance with the Baltimore Ravens. I'm a Baltimore Ravens playmaker currently. So I'm on the promotional team. So the cheerleaders are on the field, my dream and the playmakers. We are in the stadium. So we get to be with the fans. Um, there's nothing like being in the stadium on game day and to get to go to every, well, to get paid to go to every home game has been so fun. It's just so fun. And I love talking to people and meeting people, um, and hearing their stories and you really get to spend time with fans. And so you really get to hear their stories and the number of people you meet who, you know, that's their first game, but they've been Ravens fans since they were the Ravens know anything about Ravens history they were the Colts and then they were nothing before the Colts moved to Indianapolis and then there was a lull and then the Ravens came back um and it's just it's really it's been so fun yeah football and the NFL is not our forte um here on here but (laughs) we'll have to have you back to talk football with us because you know I was recently teaching one of my best friends also knows nothing about football and so she was like can you just explain to me what a down is. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what a down is. Like it's first down, second down, and she's like, but why does it start at first down? Like, shouldn't it start at no downs? And then once you're tackled, it's first yeah. down. I was like, no, because it's like like a tense. And she was like, no. And she like was she was not about it. She was like, no, you should start at zero downs. I was like, all right, you tell them. <laughs> I mean, she's got a logistical point, I guess. No, she does. Yeah. She There's a point, but also like it seems like she was getting wanting you to tell somebody, it seemed like. Yes, because I have the power to go yeah. tell the NFL to change yeah. the rules. Yeah. <laughs> I could think of a few other things you could tell them if you ever get the chance, but we'll save that for the football episode. Um <laughs> All right, I gotta let you go. Thank you so much for doing this. Um yeah. yeah, we'll definitely have you back. Absolutely. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, listeners, as always, thank you so much for listening. And the music you're listening to is done by our friend Dylan Dent. Our artwork was created by Ashley Bush. And we'll see you guys next time. The nightmare might scare you, no worse than reality. They hunt you by day, y'all rob here, Mahad Arbery. Everybody got a time, but that's less than comforting. I hope I'm alive by the time they choose to come for me. Mosquitoes in the vein, or leeches on my soul. This money on my mind is a fracture of my bones. You get crippled by continuing existence like a ghost. And they wonder why we drink, and they wonder why we smoke, and they wonder why we think that everything's a joke. I'm shocked that we can sleep, must be the thought of letting go. Now I lay me down to see if I'm better with the valley